So, Michelle... Ukraine hasn't exploded into a ball of hot mess, which is great. Yeah. After last week's episode. Yep. We had no idea what was going on. At the moment, everything seems kind of peaceful, but we did mention one little thing that the Russians were doing last week, which was they were going to have a naval exercise off the coast of Ireland. Right. Do you remember I mentioned that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Now, the thing is, it's gone into, it's become a full-blown battle. Mm. It's been called the Battle of Porcupine Bank. And let me tell you something, the Russians have not done well out of this. Do you want to talk about the Navy? Well, I'd love to, but mostly I want to hear your Irish accent. Oh, there's plenty of those coming. You're listening to I Spied, the worm of Australian intelligence. Right, so you just slide it under the hook. Ow, 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 ow. I just caught myself. Are we meant to be catching Navy ships? Ow! Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan. And this ep, we're going to be talking about the Irish and how peeved they are with the Russians. And it's all based on Ukraine. There's a lot going on. Why don't we unpack it? Well, essentially, the Russians were going to have a live fire naval exercise involving submarines and cruisers and warships Mm. and all the fun toys you get to play with on the water. 150 miles off the coast of Ireland. It's kind of like the French when they yeah. decided to come visit us. <laughs> let's, just, let's just set off a nuke in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. Um, so the Irish, of course, weren't happy. And in particular, one man was not very happy at all. It was an Irish fisherman called Patrick Murphy. That's right. Oh, my God. That is the most Irish name you could ever possibly Dath- come up with. You couldn't get any more Irish unless they called him Fillion. Um, <laughs> right. So Patrick Murphy turned around to the Russian ambassador and get this. The Russian ambassador's name is Filatov. Filatov. A fisherman talking to a man whose name is Filatov. I mean, you couldn't get it any more perfect, could you? So how did he get hold of the Russian ambassador? I should imagine he got on the phone. He rang the embassy and went, look, I'd like to talk to the ambassador and I want to talk to him right now. I mean, this is this is really kind of funny because it would take an Irishman fisherman to actually have the cojones to do something like that. Yeah, exactly. So he rang the, the Russian ambassador and the mm. Russian ambassador turned around and went, we do not want you to take any provocative action against our fleet. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to think of provocative action for the Irish fishermen. Like uh, they don't want them to strip naked? I mean, how yeah. provocative do we Bear go? their ass and throw empty bottles of Jamisons <laughs> and Guinness at them, I should imagine. What, are, what is he worried about? I don't understand. Anyway. Well, the whole thing is they wanted, they didn't want anyone in the area while they were setting off their, their guns and their torpedoes and their, their missiles and their rockets. So who owns the water, though? Ireland does. Okay. It's part of their fishing grounds, all right? So uh, there are a couple of things that the Irish, you know, Patrick Murphy said was, one, they're Irish fish and you're going to scare them off. Yep. And the other thing was we don't want to get shot at by the uh, Russians while we're out there fishing. Well, that makes sense, so right? So we're going out to fish. Yeah. Right. Now, the British government stayed well away from it, mainly probably because they had half of their submarine fleet hanging around Porcupine Bank waiting to soak up all of the intelligence, watching the Russians shoot at each other. But eventually the Russian government turned around to the ambassador and went, uh... We're not going to win this one. Let them go. Well, okay. So why did they? Why did the Russians think they weren't going to win it? They were worried about the fishermen. It, well, if you go take it to international court. Oh yeah, they weren't going to win that. But like, I, I can't imagine that they'd be running scared from a fisherman. <laughs> Look, 
Trust me, you do not want to cross a drunk, angry Irish fisherman. To be sure. As Ambassador Filatov put it, in an act of goodwill, mm. we will move further away from Ireland. So they've moved further out into the Atlantic Sea. Why didn't they do that to begin with? I don't, I don't understand why they thought that they could just set up in Irish fisherman waters. I'd say it's a, a it's an idea of being provocative. Yeah. Remember, they're currently they've got a little bit of uh, argy bargy going on in Eastern Europe, and it's. I don't one know. Way I haven't then, heard anything about that. What's, I what know, are you it's talking been very about? quiet. Yeah, nothing. So absolutely quiet. nothing. Yeah. I, I believe they're having a trouble with Lithuania. Oh, are um, they? Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but because of all of this, I think what they might have been doing was just trying to put the mocker on the British Navy to say, "Look, we're in the area. Don't mess around." Yeah. And then an Irish fisherman went, "Piss off, you fucking idiot! We don't want you in here." Yep. 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 Right. So this is what happened. Now, the thing is, right, the Irish have now turned around and went, great boys, you can go out and fish to your heart's delight. There are no Russians around. And there's a really good reason why the Irish would have been worried about a Russian fleet floating around. Well, yeah, apart from the obvious. Well, it goes back to a thing called the Dogger Bank incident. Now, this is another naval incident that happened in 1904. Okay. Now, strap yourselves in. This is going to get very, very weird very, very quickly. I mean, I'm just I'm just here for it. Let's go. So, Imperial Russia, we weren't communist Russia at this point. We still had an empire. They still had a czar. They were in a war with Japan and the Baltic fleet was being sent from the Baltic Sea there in the North Atlantic, right at the top there. Mm. They were being sent to go all the way around to Port Arthur, which is now known as Vladivostok, right, to defend it from the Japanese Imperial Navy. Yep. So we're talking about North Atlantic going all the way around the world, 30,000 kilometres, that is, all the way around to the Sea of Japan. Now, while they were leaving the Baltic, the admiral of the fleet got a message, a bit of intelligence saying there may be Japanese torpedo boats in the area. Yeah, because the Japanese sent four torpedo boats 30,000 kilometres, right? There may be Japanese torpedo boats in the area. Be very careful. And he told his fleet, this is a massive fleet, an entire fleet of ships, warships, cruisers, all the ancillary vessels, right? He said, do not let anyone get in our way. Don't let any vessel in here. And then more intelligence came out that they were disguising themselves as fishing boats by leaving a mizzenmast light on and nothing else. So it makes you look like a fishing boat, apparently. Right. So as they were leaving the Baltic, they were even firing at fishing vessels that were bringing messages out to them, right? Didn't hit any of them. The Russians weren't good shots at this point. Well, they were probably all drunk by that time, right? Well, they were all on the vodka by this point, but they were also terrified. They were terrified that they were going to get attacked by Japanese boats. Well, of course, you would be. The Japanese are pretty scary. Oh, yeah. Now, very scary. Even from 30,000 kilometres away, Mm. they're terrifying. So they get out into the North Sea, having very, very cleverly avoided a minefield that didn't exist. They took all of these precautions, got out into the sea, and in a fog bank, a boat called the Kamchakta, Mm. right, which is a, a Russian vessel, said it was being attacked by basically a Swedish cruise liner that was just going past. And then the entire fleet got caught up in a fog bank and someone saw four lights in the distance. Okay. They turned their searchlights on it and then turned their guns on these lights and then opened fire on a British fishing fleet. Oh. Oh, now, it, yeah, now they're from Yorkshire, right? They're good Yorkshire lads all out there fishing for cod, right? And the guns open up. Now, their nets were down, so they couldn't manoeuvre. Oh, right. And for 20 minutes, 
20 minutes the Russians fired on these fishing vessels. So uh, at what point did they not realise that these people weren't firing back so potentially they probably weren't the enemy? There was a little problem with the British not firing back. The British didn't fire back, but unfortunately some of the Russian ships fired on other Russian ships thinking they were Japanese ships. The Russians are really not doing well right now. Now, wait for it. (laughs) In the 20 minutes, one ship alone fired 500 rounds. At itself? At, at, like at, at its own ships? Well, out of the 500 rounds, zero hit anything. How bad a shot are they? They're terrible. They, sh- they should not be in any wars. They're terrible. Oh, well, they were Is, are terrible. These, are they seriously drunk? I'm just assuming that they're all drunk. I, I, I think, A, it's a bit, of, a bit of vodka, but B, I think it's just they were not well trained. And all of this equipment was new, mm. right? This was the these steel battleships were a really, really new thing. So they go through this battle. They killed one of the captains of the fishing boat and his boatswain and sunk that vessel. That was called the Crane. There's a statue in Mm. Kingsford on Hull to commemorate this. The British were less than pleased. Of course they would. Oh, and by the way, they also killed one of their own Russian Orthodox chaplains and a sailor on board the Aurora that got caught between seven ships, seven Russian ships, all that fired at Wow. Unmitigated disaster. Yeah. The British, and this is, I love this quote. This is my favourite quote from it. This is from the, the Times at the time, the Times editorial. It is almost inconceivable that any men calling themselves seamen, however frightened they might be, could spend 20 minutes bombarding a fleet of fishing boats without discovering the nature of their target. Right. Now, at this time, Britain had signed a treaty with Imperial Japan. Okay. So the Russians were now doubly nervous because the British turned around and went, we are now going to send 28 ships out to dog your fleet all the way down the coast of Europe to the Mediterranean, right? So the British government turned around to the Russian government when you have questions to answer, we need to talk to your officers. So the Admiral pulled the fleet up in Vigo in Spain. That's right. They pull up in Spain. Okay, so I have no idea what is about to happen. You're literally doing this whole app based on how many accents you can get out, aren't you? Oh, yeah. You okay, wait. We're, okay. we're not finished yet. Okay, great. Uh, so we get to Vigo where the Admiral selects several officers he believes are culpable for mm-hmm. what happened and also a couple of officers who turned around and went, you are really a bad Admiral. They all got kicked off the boat to answer questions and then he continued on into the Mediterranean. Now, remember I mentioned the boat to Kamchatka? Yes, Barely. There's so much, so much has happened since then. I know. Don't worry. It gets better. It went missing. <laughs> I feel like I need a Venn diagram as to what is going on right now. It's like it's, it's like an app within an app within an app. I'm like, where the fuck are we? Exactly. We're in the Mediterranean. Okay. Just off the coast of Tangiers. Okay. When the Kamchatka caught up with the rest of the fleet, having said that it had been attacked by Japanese ships and had fired upon all of them and had a great victory. Now, unfortunately, the boats that he hit were a Swedish merchant ship. Yeah, we're just trying to sell our reindeer skins and whale blubber. Okay. A German fishing trawler. Was ist das? Mein Gott. And of course, a French schooner. Mon Dieu. Right. So these guys got attacked for no apparent reason. And then the Russians all gathered outside the Suez Canal only to discover that half their ships didn't fit. Okay, great. So then where, what were they going to do with them? Right. So one half went through the Suez Canal, the ones that did fit, and the rest of them had to go all the way around the coast of Africa, around the Cape of Good Hope, probably firing on everything on the way. And how long would that have taken? Probably. Oh, 
probably about a week, two weeks. Longer, I would imagine. And then they all met up in Madagascar. Right, the fleet regathered in Madagascar and got drunk. Sailed together. across the Indian Ocean again, shooting at anything that breathed, and arrived in the Sea of Japan, where the entire fleet was destroyed by the Japanese Navy in the Battle of Tsushima. So they all died. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it was like a suicide right. mission, and they were taking down everything in its in their path, basically. I think they basically got to the Sea of Japan and found that they had. No ammo left. Yeah, right. Basically. Right. So this was the thing. A small fishing fleet basically destroyed the Baltic fleet Mm. simply by being where it was at the time. Now, the fascinating thing about this is you're like going, okay, how does this operate now? Right. Because of this, uh, one of the things that's come out, international law, fishing fleets and military fleets we don't talk to each other very much, or they they try to avoid each other as much as possible. And over the years, there have been many incidents. There was an incident of a US submarine surfacing off Japan, Mm -hmm. hitting a ship, destroying it. There's been a huge story about a British submarine that surfaced and knocked out a a fishing trawler. These stories happen all the time. What's happened is one country has decided to weaponize fishing fleets. Uh, Can you guess? Okay, I'm going to say, ooh, would it be Japan? <gasps> oh, so close, so close. Just go to the go to the left a bit, just the left a little bit. China. Goo, right on the money. Well, I thought Japan because of the whaling issues. Well, that's an interesting point, but that's the whole thing with the whaling issue is one, it's down in the South Antarctic Ocean, mm. the Southern Ocean, so it's down around Antarctica. But don't they don't they fire on like Greenpeace and stuff like that? Well, they use water cannons. Oh, right? okay. So it's mainly water cannons and that sort of action to basically push them away. But no, it's not the Japanese; it's okay. the Chinese, and they've really, really gone hard. It's what's called the Chinese Maritime Militia. They call it. <laughs> of course, they do. Now it sounds kind of cutesy and weird. No, or the Maritime Militia. It sounds pretty freaking evil. <laughs> yeah, it actually sounds like, it really sounds like a bunch of American rednecks on both Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. not going to take my gun, right? Yep. So what happened is the, the Japanese back in 1974, and this goes right back to the whole thing about all the disputed territory in the South China mm. Sea, they used fishing vessels to take over the Paracel Islands. Essentially, they just got fishing vessels to surround the islands and blockade it. Right. And they realized, hang on, this is a really neat trick. We can do this as much as we want because it gives us plausible deniability because these guys are all privately owned. Yep. I just did air quotes again. Yeah, I'm like, like why are you doing air quotes? No one can really see them. So they're privately owned, but you're winking your eye as in like privately owned. Privately owned and all of the ownership is one step away from major Chinese corporations right along the Chinese coast. Mm. And also there's a lot of sponsorship coming in from a little known Chinese government. Okay. So Essentially what they're using, they're using these fishing boats and it's a really it's a really clever way they've done it and it's also incredibly frustrating for Navy. But are they allowed to do this? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Under international law. But we know about it. So surely they're getting away. And who polices this? Yeah. Okay. Now, this comes down to – now, when we say we don't use fishing fleets in military operations, there is, of course, the classic story of Dunkirk Yeah. where you – know, all of those British troops were stuck on the the beach and the British government turned around to anyone with a boat and went, if you can get to Dunkirk, can you get there and bring some people off the But, the- but that's like just a, a retrieval mission. It's not really like participating in That's more war. a humanitarian yeah. Yeah. evacuation yeah. than 
actually interfering. Yeah. Now, we're getting all this information, one from satellite imagery, but also from open source intelligence. They're, they're picking stuff, off, stuff up about it from online because they are talking to each other. These, these sea captains and these different fleets are communicating via So um, then the who internet. is monitoring this situation? Well, anyone who happens to be in the area, because what they do is the ships will interfere with navigation of other shipping. So, you know, there's the US Navy have decided we're just going to fly, you know, sail past the Spratleys and there's nothing you can do about it. And then suddenly they find they're in the middle of a fishing fleet. And the problem with that is you don't want a fishing fleet in amongst your boats, mm. A, because of 1904 and the Dogger incident, but also you don't want them there because you, they could be monitoring your intelligence, your yeah, communications. Right. Yep. And I mean, there is, there's two sides of this. You've got what's called the professional militia who have got purpose-built boats for this, and then you've got fishermen using vessels. They've got to be steel-hulled. They're between 35 and 55 metres long, but also- who knows what's sitting on that trawler? You don't know what communications they could have on board. You don't know what kind of monitoring equipment they could have on board. So they could be sitting there soaking up your intelligence as they blithely sail through your shipping lines. Right. So it's like a ruse. Yeah. And it's a, it's a brilliant ruse. And the, the, the brilliant thing about it is China can simply turn around and go, yeah, sorry, don't know what you're talking about. It's got yeah. nothing to do with us. Yep. And despite all of the open source intelligence pointing directly at the Chinese government, there is enough disconnect, there's enough plausible deniability for them to turn around and go, yeah, sorry, mate, private fishing vessel, nothing to do with us. So this is what we've suddenly discovered we've got going on. And I mean, this then starts to make you wonder when the Chinese send a fishing fleet down into the south, the Southern Ocean under Australia, what else are they doing down there? Yeah, but so who is monitoring this? Is there a governing body that monitors the international waters or is it just whatever country is closest? Like how is this sorted? It would go through the international courts. Yes. It would go through things like the international courts, the UN would probably be looking at it. America would certainly be examining this as Australia would have its eyes definitely on this. But again, because there is that disconnect, that one level of disconnect from the government, mm. from the Chinese government, there's very little anyone can do other than try to prosecute the actual people on board. And, you know, you catch a fishing captain who's been told by his boss, go out there and just get in the way of that American yes. aircraft carrier. He's really not an asset. And again, this is that great, the clever thing with good intelligence is you're always constantly trying to detach your intelligence asset from the organization running that asset, right? So again, using a fishing fleet's brilliant. As it goes, who knows where it's going to end? The, the big problem we have, and this is as it turned out with Ireland, when we go back to the thing that happened at Porcupine Bank, the Irish basically turned around and the fishermen were like, you're going to ruin our fishing yeah, and you're, you're destroying our livelihood. But the Irish government's argument was, this puts our fishermen at great physical risk because if you read it wrong, if your sensor readers are reading the information incorrectly, the next thing you think you're firing on a target drone, you're firing on a boat. Right. So we need to keep our people safe. Yeah. So, but they surely they know that. Like, I do feel like the Russians were aware that they were very close to like some Irish fishermen. Like, I don't understand why they would have done that. I also don't understand why there's not some actual governing body that is kind of in charge of 
monitoring all of this, this international waters. I understand that, you know, there are there are different countries that can get involved, but surely by now we would have sorted this situation out. I think that is indicative of the problem because once you're in international waters, yeah. it's pretty much no holds barred. Yeah, I get that. But like a lot of people are using the ruse of the international waters and then they dip into other countries' waters. And I think that's where the problem Yeah, Well, I mean, that was also the example during Operation Sabre, which is the big joint Australian-American operation that happens in Northern Australia every once or one or two years. Uh, A Japanese monitoring vessel was sailing up and down the Queensland coast right on our territorial waters. Right, right on the boundary. Yes. So I think that's 200 kilometres offshore. It's at 200 kilometres offshore, which with satellite coverage and a few other bits and pieces, more than enough to them, for them to just literally soak up all of this intelligence that's flying around through the air, listening to satellite communications, long-range communications, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, the whole idea of international waters, the problem comes down to that point is once you're in international waters, what are the rules? Yes, and I get, I, I totally get that. Um, it's interesting, though, going back to the whole Russian-Irish thing. Is this, do yep. you think, uh, an instance where Russia is kind of – okay with it becoming so public because they want people to know that, hang on, we are testing, we're ready for any kind of trouble that the Ukraine throws at us. That's a really good point. That's a great point to make because the fact that they were doing it was very provocative. It's yeah. very. It's not provocative so much towards Ireland. I think it's more provocative towards England and France yes. because where they were sitting, it's right down the bottom of Southern Ireland, which gives them great access to the bottom of the English Channel, gives them great access to the uh, Bay of Biscay, which is France, and it also gives them access to the North Sea. So it really kind of keeps that area and that naval sort yep. of all the navies in that area tied up. By the Irish turning around going, you know, get the feck off our front line, you bastards. They basically have kind of diffused that situation. I think it was a massive provocation from Russia to do it. Well, it feels like they're they're flexing their muscles, right? And just showing the rest of the world, look, we're we're prepared for this to go in the direction we we want it to. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because again, it also dra- it's another way of dragging attention away from what's going on in the Ukraine. Yes. So the problem with it was they they picked on the wrong Irishman. I just love that it's just one guy taking on <laughs> taking on Russia. Well, there were a couple, but Patrick Murphy was the guy who led it. Right there was there was a group of them, and they were all from the same village in County Cork. Right these these just. <laughs> I just love the fact that these Irishmen just rocked up to the embassy and went, like, we'd like to have a little word with you and we're not going to go away till we get one. Let us in or we're just going to sit here and start singing. And they did. So you've got Russia now pulling out. They've just done, they've just gone deeper waters. They've continued to do the thing that they wanted to do anyway. Yep. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on with China and, you know, what what are we doing about that? Right. Essentially what we'd be doing is we would be heavily monitoring every time an Australian ship goes up there, one of the Australian Navy boats goes up and through, Mm. right? Hopefully it doesn't break down as it goes through. We really need to talk about Tonga. So as that boat goes up and through, it will be monitoring and identifying every boat it can in that militia fleet and then passing it on to our allies. But beyond that, that you can't fire on them. Right. Unless they take provocative action, you can't open fire on a fishing boat. The Russians proved that. It almost got to the point where Russia and the UK back in 1904, they nearly went to war over yep. this. Yep. So if 
anyone was to open fire on a Chinese fishing vessel, you can guarantee it would not end well for them. So the whole thing we've got going on now, again, it's what we call grey zone. Mm. force, right? It's a grey zone operation where they have plausible deniability. They're not using official assets. They're using civilian assets. And bottom line is, until someone can figure a way through this mess, the Chinese are going to run of the South China Sea using fishing boats. Well, there you go. Fishing boats, not so harmless. Yeah. Yeah. The next time you see some (laughs) bloke out with a fishing line out the back, be careful because he could be spying on you. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's that's a comforting thought. Yep. And of course, if you've got any questions about this or you want to send us an idea to talk about, get in touch with us on at Podcast at Twitter. I su- I'm surprised you don't even have a Reddit username yet because you spend so much time on Reddit. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I just no. I just I, I go onto Reddit. You know, you put in like warship. Oh, why is there porn about this? It's like, come on, give me a break. I know. I think every, everyone needs to know that uh, we were meant to be in the same studio today, but I feel like you got deep in some Reddit thread in your blanket fort and forgot to leave. Uh, I, I've been living in here for days. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Maybe you need to air it out. It probably stinks. Oh uh, yeah, I've actually I've, I've I've actually made a purchase. I've got an extractor fan to try and get the hot air out. <laughs> Great. 